Hello, we are glad you're listening to this message by Dr. M. Oladoin Odubanjo. You are sure to receive God's whole counsel for your life, family, work, and all that concerns you in these contemporary times. Hebrews, the third chapter, I read from verse 12. It said, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from believing God. Uh, when you have the word beware, it means that whatever it is, is there. Um, um, whatever, uh, beware is like be warned, you know, um, or be aware, you know, which means stay alert, watch out for this, you know, and, um, you know, when we say beware for me, and I'm sure maybe for many of us, beware is attached to a phrase that says beware of dogs, isn't it? Uh, one says, beware of the dog. You know, one says, beware of wild dogs. Uh, I don't know which one is more scary, you know, because if you say, beware of the dogs, uh, there are several of them, so you know that but they're not likely to be one dog in that compound. Uh, but when somebody also says to you, beware of the dog, <laughs> I'm not sure if it's more scary, if it's not more scary than beware of the dogs. You know, beware of the dogs is, there are several of them, you know, they could be a little funny, but when you say, beware of the dog, ah, it's like when somebody comes and they say, that is the dangerous man. D. You know, that is... <laughs> so, when they say the dog, it means there's one dog there, believe me, you, me, you don't want to meet that dog. Amen? So, when it says beware, uh, but then basically it tells you that that thing is really there. It tells you that that dog is really there. It tells you that that danger is really there. Uh, but the bigger danger, perhaps, is that you and I might walk into that arena uh, without realizing what is happening to us. I, I may forget what I'm talking about. It means that the dog is always there quite all right. The only reason why they are putting beware of dogs there is so that you will not walk in unawares. The dog is not disappearing. The dog is not changing. But the point is that you, is, there's a chance that you would walk in uh, strolling carelessly and then you will be in trouble because of your careless strolling. Are you still there? So when he says, beware brethren, uh, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from believing God, uh, then it's also talking about the fact that that evil heart of unbelief is not so scarce. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Uh, it's saying that that evil heart of unbelief is not something far-fetched. That evil heart of unbelief is very much around us. Okay? So it's saying, be aware. Lest this thing comes up suddenly. Lest this thing catches you unaware. So be aware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from believing God. But rather, this is the antidote, but rather exhort one another daily. So this is one of it. I'm speaking about it. Exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, for we have become partakers of Christ only if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who haven't heard rebelled. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in uh, because of unbelief. Like I said, again, when the Bible says beware, it means watch out. It means this is not something far off. This is something around you. And th there's a good chance that you might miss it if you don't stay alert. Are you still there? The other bit of it that I want you to take note of is that at the very end, it, it, I mean, after having described the children of Israel and the problems they had in the wilderness, okay? And if you are familiar with the story, uh, the things that happened, the complaints they made, uh, the, uh, I mean, what do you call it, the disobedience that occurred, the, um, the challenging of authority that occurred and all of that. The Bible summarized all of that and said, I mean, in, in the last verse, that realized that their problem was what? Unbelief. Realized that what stopped them was unbelief. So I'm speaking about shades of unbelief this morning. You see, because the, the, the big problem, shades of unbelief, shades of unbelief, uh, that is to say that unbelief has different appearances, okay? Unbelief has different ways that it looks, it comes up. Because if we just say unbelief, uh, we have a big umbrella, but then there are a few things in the specifics when you begin to speak about unbelief. Now, also because we know that the biggest hindrance of a believer is unbelief. 
Okay? The biggest challenge a believer will ever have is that of unbelief. Your, your problem will not be the devil. I mean, the Bible says that indeed he sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So the enemies do not make a difference. Are you still there, anybody? Uh, they, God can actually do the very best. In fact, he delights in doing the greatest of miracles and the very best when your enemies are very much around. Are you still there? You know, so he wants to stun them. He wants to amaze them. He wants to bless you. He's not, he's not trying to kill your enemy. Can I have an amen? Can I have a louder amen? I mean, he's not trying to kill your enemy. And that's why uh, several times people have been praying that the enemy will fall down and die, but he's still alive. Are you still there? Uh, because indeed, rather what the Bible says in First Peter chapter 3 is that he delights that everyone be saved. In First Timothy chapter 2, I believe also, he says the same thing, saying that you should pray for all in authority. He says, for his desire is that everyone will be saved. His desire is not to kill them. Are you still hearing me? His desire is that they will also change. And one of the ways by which they will change is that they will see the goodness of God in your life. They will see what God is doing through you and in you. And all of that will make them turn around and begin to say, look, I like what I see about you. I've even tried to offend you. You refuse to be offended. I've tried to do charms against you. It's not working. You know, so I haven't seen all of the things that I'm seeing. I know that your God is alive. And I want to know that God. Can I have an amen? amen. So the, the biggest challenge we have is not that devil. The biggest challenge we have, the Bible says that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Are you still there? They are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They are not destroyed for the presence of the devil. They are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's what they don't have. It's not who, against, who is against them. Are you still there? You know, so it's not who is against them that's the issue. It's what they do not know. Okay? And when they do not know the word of God, then they will be in trouble. We know also from First John chapter 5 and verse 4 that it says that, I mean, whatsoever is born of God, overcomes the world. And this is the victory, even our faith. Whatever is born of God. I believe that sometimes when God speaks that way, He does so on purpose because He could very easily have said, whoever is born of God. Am I right? So when He says, whatever is born of God, I believe it's deliberate. It's for emphasis. Because it's like saying that even if a cat is born of God, it overcomes the world. It's like saying if a chair is born of God, it overcomes the world. Are you still there? So that's why He will speak that way and say, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the actual key. This is the actual thing that brings about that victory. He said it is even our faith. Are you there? If I kept on reading Hebrews chapter 3 and I went down to Hebrews chapter 4, which is a continuation really, uh, because the Bible was not written in chapters and verses, we put them there so that we can better read and understand and make reference to them. Okay? So if we kept on reading, for instance, from chapter 4, he begins to speak about the fact that there is a rest left unto the people of God, but they will not enter that rest because of unbelief. Okay? So the unbelief is the big challenge that we have to deal with. The unbelief is what we, we must all tackle strongly, brutally in our lives. Uh, very often God is speaking. Very often God is doing things. Okay, God is moving. We hear and we've repeated several times, for instance, that we say, oh, it's a year of undeniable proofs. Many people will shout, hallelujah, amen. Glory to God. Uh, but then you'll have to ensure that you keep that way and you keep believing it in the face of direct opposition. In the face of contrary events, you will have to believe that word and stand by it and then you will see those events even begin to change. Are you still there? You see, the challenge of unbelief is that unbelief will not stop God from moving. Uh, it will stop you from participating or partaking. You understand what I'm saying? Your unbelief will not stop God from doing what he will do. But your, your unbelief will stop you from being a partaker of what God is doing. Second Kings chapter 5, I mean Second Kings chapter 6, there was famine in the land because there was war uh, uh, in, in Israel. And then the enemy came and the enemy blocked everywhere. They surrounded the whole city of Samaria so that they ensured that there was no trade going on. No food coming in, no food going out. People couldn't go out to their farms and all of that. So there was a lot of famine. You know, when I, when I think about that, I remember the civil war from historical accounts. They say that the civil war also in Nigeria ended because one day one man said to the federal government, he said, you are fighting people and you are still feeding them. I mean, so he said, how can you be fighting them and you are feeding them? He said, block 
the source of the food, so that there is no food going in there. He said, then you can end the war. And then when they did that, I, I think it was the bridge or something that they uh, basically attacked and ensured that there was no communication. The war ended soon afterwards. Okay, so in a similar vein, these guys were surrounded. In a similar vein, the land was, or Samaria was surrounded, and it things got really bad. It got so bad that the Bible said that a donkey's head, you know, a donkey's head, and this must be a tiny, thin, starving donkey, you know, because if the human beings had no food, the donkey definitely wouldn't have much. You know, so this was a starving donkey, uh, and then they sold a donkey's head for 80 shekels of silver. And they sold a dove, basically a bird, a bird sheet was sold for eight shekels of silver. So people even had to offer, you know, say, ah, eight. Come on, take over seven. So we had that. And you're buying sheets. Can you imagine that? You know, so things were that bad. And, and one day the king was walking around the place and then he met these two ladies fighting. And one lady said to the other, he said, King, talk to this woman. She's a very bad woman, very evil woman. She's cheating me. She has defrauded me. He said, what happened? He said, well, we agreed that today we will kill my child and eat. And then tomorrow we will kill our own child and eat. And then after we ate my child, she has hidden her child. You know what? The king couldn't even answer. He just walked away. I mean, what do you say? Mothers are killing their children to eat. So things, I'm just describing, things were that bad. You thought that things are bad in uh, no, no, they are not bad yet in Nigeria. You know what I'm saying? Not that bad yet. But things were really that hard. And then finally the king sent a person, one of his messengers, one of his senior special advisors, to go and see Prophet Elisha. So this man went to see Prophet Elisha. And when he got there, Elisha said to him, he said, look, this is what the word of the Lord says. I mean, the king also came right after. And Elisha said to him, this is what the word of the Lord says. He said, by this time, Tomorrow. You know, there, there are certain things you don't even want to say as a prophet. I mean, there are certain prophecies that are not good because they don't give you enough time. You, you get what I'm saying? Enough time for things to move around a little bit. You know, if you said, in the next five years, just share the Lord. Even you as a prophet will go and start praying. God, you have five years to perform. You, you get what I'm saying? But when you say, by this time tomorrow, he said they will sell a, a Congo of flour, fine flour, for one shekel of silver. Ah! The senior special advisor, very educated, studied in Yale and Harvard. The guy stood there and said, how can these things be? Even if God were to open the windows of heaven, I mean, how can this happen? We are talking about, by this time, 24 hours. And you know, you know what the prophet said? He said, it will still happen. Okay? You will see it, but you will not eat of it. I'm talking about the, 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 the power of unbelief. He said, what God has said will happen, you will see it, but you won't eat of it. Because your power to eat of it is faith. Your, your right, your license, your ticket to be able to partake of it is faith. So when you sit there and you say, oh, well, God, there is revival or whatever. There is revival. There are people who are having revival now. If you are saying there is lack and all of that, there are people who are having, enjoying divine provision now. There are people who are enjoying divine protection now. But what gives them the ticket to enjoy it in the midst of all of these things is that they must believe God against all odds. Are you there? Look, by the next day, there was a whole rush. The army, the camp there, tumult, and they all and killed themselves and all that, and ran away because they thought there was trouble. God just caused confusion in the camp of the enemy, and all of us, all of them escaped, and left a lot of food, a lot of jewelry, a lot of stuff in that place, and then there was news in the city that, look, these people have gone away, there is food in abundance now, and people began to run out, and the senior special advisor was by the gate, and the people just pushed him down and trampled all over him and killed him there. So, he did eventually hear that there was a miracle, that things had turned around, but he never made it, just as the prophet said. Are you still there? So let's talk very quickly about the shades of unbelief. Number one is not believing that God can do it. So just like the senior special advisor, you have situations where uh, people are looking at something, you are looking at a situation, you are looking at a challenge, and you are thinking to yourself, God can't do this one. This is beyond God. This is too big. 
this is too difficult. I, I like that song, you know, I've made you too small in my eyes. I really like that song because it, it keeps telling me each time that I sing it that most, I mean, not most, everything that we count impossible are only so because we have made God too small in our own eyes. I like it because Luke chapter 1 and verse 37 says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. So impossible is only in our own dictionary, not in God's own. Are you still there? Why? Because Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That word created means he made something out of nothing. <laughs> Are you there? You know, at the beginning of it, I read that again. And, and, and I thought to myself, he created the heavens and the earth. He made something out of nothing. And this is the something that he made. If he can make all of this out of absolute nothing other than his word, then your whole life is too small. For him to create or recreate or modify as he wishes. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. One of the first shades of unbelief that people face is that they begin to think that something or the other is beyond what God can do. In the book of John, there were, I mean, there, there were these two sisters who sent a message to Jesus, John chapter 11, and they said, Hey, he whom you love, your friend, your good friend, the one that you really like is sick. Please come. And the Bible says Jesus waited two more days and the man died. By the time he arrived in that town, Martha went to him and he said, Master, if you had come four days ago. You know what they were saying? They said, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. This is an impossibility. I believed you thus far. I believe you can do this. I believe you can raise a man on a deathbed. I believe you can raise a man who is uh, bedridden. I believe you can raise a man who is in coma. But I don't believe that you can raise a man who is dead. What are your own limits? You need to stretch your limits of, 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 of faith. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Stretch your limits of faith. What's the limit? What's the limit you have set before God? God has none. We set the limits for him. Are you there? We are the ones that determine that God, yes, you can do this and this and this and this, but this one. <laughs> well, well, we thank you. This one, we are not sure. We just leave this one alone. But I know you can do this one and this one. There are even people who have lists, who have desires, who have ten things on their list, but they have removed three. By themselves, they just removed three. They just thought to themselves that, you know, this uh, three. <laughs> well, if he does it, sir. Mm. But even me, I feel like Oliver Twist, I'll be asking too much if I ask him to do this one. If, but if you do this seven, it's okay. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When, when you go to God and you are praying for ten things and then you are beginning to negotiate again and say, but God, even if you don't do all of them, but if you do those seven, these seven, you are setting a limit. You are saying, God, this one is impossible for you to do all ten. But that's not my God you are talking to. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Eh, because my God can do all things. Can I have an amen? amen. You know, in, in Mark chapter 9, a man came to Jesus. And, well, actually, well, he came to Jesus, and, uh, but then Jesus was not around. So he talked to his disciples and he said, please pray for my son. They prayed for him. It looked like nothing was happening. And Jesus, who had gone to the mountain, came down and he saw a crowd. And as soon as they saw him, they ran to him. And the man came and he fell before him and he said, Ah, Master, look, uh, my son has been uh, demonized or whatever since he was a child. He said, and oftentimes that devil will throw him into the fire, oftentimes into the water. He said, and I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. If you can do anything. You know what had happened to that man? He had been through too much for too long. That he had changed the limits. He came with some expectation before. He was believing God before. But now it had taken too long. Now he had also met several people who supposedly were Jesus' disciples. And he was correct. They supposedly had the same grace and all of that. He was correct. But then the, the fact that it had not happened then made him to reset the limits. And he was now looking at Jesus himself and saying to him, If you can do anything. So Jesus looked at, me, at him and he said, no, 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 no. If you can believe. Mark chapter 9 verse 23. If you can believe. He said, all things are possible to him that believes. Can I hear you say all things? All things. Are possible to him that believes. You know, like somebody said, you need to join that with Luke chapter 1 and verse 37. It says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible for all things are possible. Or rather, if you turn it the other way around and say, all things are possible to him that believe, for with God nothing shall be impossible. 
the late Archbishop Benson Daosa used to say. He said, uh, do you know what is impossible for you to do? Is what you refuse to believe. Are you there? The only thing that is an impossibility is what you refuse to believe. Because both with God and with the man who believes, all things are possible. Did you get that? So the man had been in trouble for too long. Maybe people have been around. You've been prayed for a number of times. Uh, and because, of, uh, because it had not happened, you are beginning to say, God, if you can. Now you are not believing anymore that God can do it. I remember going several years ago, I mean, in one place, in one town, uh, to preach. And there was a lady there who, for, uh, should I say, not for treacherously, but thankfully, somebody invited her to church that evening. And she came around, uh, having not been to church in a few years. You know why? Because people are shot an arrow. You know what I mean, as we like to say. They shot an arrow at her in her dream. And she woke up, had a sore on her leg, which never healed. It refused to heal. She went everywhere, went to hospital, went to church, went to revival. It was not healing. So she gave up on God. Even men can fail. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah, but as long as you know that it's God you are believing, there's no failure. Are you there? There's no failure. So thankfully she came that night and God healed her as we prayed. Are you still hearing what I'm saying? For with God, nothing shall be impossible. The second uh, shade of unbelief is people not believing that God is willing. So they believe that God can do it. Uh, but for some reason they don't believe that God wants to do it for them. Are you still there? You know, one of, one of the um, things that I've preached around, and, and I have a big problem with it because I don't see the scripture. I say, is when people say that God answers prayers. I'm sure most of you have heard it. They say, he says, yes, no, or not now. Have you ever heard that before? You're looking at me like I came from the moon. Have you heard it before? Anybody? Or, or you don't want to admit Maybe you believed it too. Are you there? But I challenge you, find me a scripture for it. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, it said, Ask and you shall receive, knock and the door shall be opened, seek and you shall find. It said, For everyone that asketh, receive it. Everyone. Can I hear you say everyone? I, I don't see where you get no, yes, not now. I don't see all of those things in my Bible. Are you there? It said, For everyone. So when I don't get it, I can tell you I pray prayers that I didn't get an answer, but guess what? I think my problem is me. Because when I read my Bible, I see that it said, everyone who asks, receives. Everyone. So, I keep challenging myself that this is what God said, everyone. So, if I have not received it, or if I didn't receive it, there is a problem with me somewhere. But this is what he said. Listen, because when you believe the, the, the theology that says, no, yes, God answers all prayers, but his, his answers are no or yes, or not now, what happens is that it's beginning to build some degree of unbelief in you. Are you still there? I look at Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, where the Bible makes it clear that all of the promises of God in Him, that is in Jesus, are yes and amen. All of the promises. Can I hear you say all? Don't, don't, let's, don't let's change the standards. Don't let's, don't let's change our theology to match our experience. Okay? Uh, because this doesn't seem to be happening to me. I'm going to change what I believe about God. No, 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 no. Believe what he says in his word, irrespective of what your personal experience is, and expect your experience one day to step up and match up with that theology. Are you there? All of the promises of God in him are yes and amen. Yes and amen are more or less the same thing. He says all God's promises in Christ Jesus are yes and so be it. There's no excuse for it not coming to pass. There's none. Absolutely none. In Mark chapter 1 from verse 40, a leper came to Jesus. I'm not reading them because of time. We still have to take communion this morning. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 40, a leper came up to Jesus and he said, uh, Master, if you will, you can make me whole. If you will. Basically, he was saying, if you are willing, 
If you are willing. So this man, unlike the man in Mark chapter 9, did not have a problem believing that Jesus could. But he had a problem believing that Jesus would. Are you still there? Please look at your neighbor and say we are talking about shades of unbelief. So it's slightly different. There are people who are sitting there and what they are believing is that he wouldn't because I'm a sinner. Some say I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. In fact, a pathetic story told by late Kennedy again was that he went to pray for some lady. I think she was on a wheelchair, if I remember correctly. And as he prayed for this lady, he said, Jesus appeared and was stretching out his hands to lay hands on this person. And this person would turn the head and say, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. He said, three times Jesus stretched out the hand. He kept saying, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I would take the head away and missed that miracle. What makes you worthy? What makes I worthy? Is that he made the sacrifice. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. He said, he that knew no sin became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He made me worthy. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm worthy. Listen, if he, if he paid, the most difficult thing, right? The most difficult thing for God to do is for him to have given his only begotten son. That's the most difficult thing. Okay? And if he has done that, that's enough proof that he will do every other thing. He has shown you more than enough proof, or should I say he has given you more than enough reason to know that he is willing to bless you. He is willing to heal you. He is willing to provide for you. He is willing to protect you. Can I have an amen? It's almost like somebody who comes and then uh, you ask me and I give you a car. So I give you a car, you know. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm prophesying now. Brand new Mercedes-Benz C-Class. Okay. You know, I'm prophesying. I'm prophesying that I will give it. Uh, you know, and the, like they say, the water that, I mean, the pipe that carries water can't be thirsty. You understand? So, and then God wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing. I'm speaking in, in, in that way so that you begin to get in many pictures. He says, let him that steals, steal no more, but let him walk with his hands that may have to give. So God's first primary purpose is that we become givers, isn't it? I said, isn't it? So if I gave you a bench, you, you are in need, and I give you a bench, I say, take, start it. And then next week I see you and I say, you know what, I'm going to give you a wristwatch. Well, a wristwatch can be tricky. Uh, I'm going to give you a shirt. It's a nice shirt, T.M. Lewin, maybe, or whatever. 6,000 naira or whatever. And you say, then you turn around you go and say, he said he give me shirts. I don't even know. Anyway, let's hope so. Now, what would you think of such a person? You say, it's insane. Somebody gave you a car. Then he's talking of a shirt and you're hoping so. What are you hoping? You should take it as done. Are you hear what I'm saying? If he could give you a guy, I mean, that is nothing. So the same way the Bible is speaking, Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. He said, if he did not withhold his son from you. So if he didn't keep back his son from you, how will he not with him freely give us all things? It's not the most difficult thing. Are you there? The most difficult has been done. So he, he, uh, that has proved to me beyond any shadow of doubt that he will give me what I need. He will give me what I want. Can I have a loud amen? amen? So the second one is what? Not believing that God is willing. Listen, again, the, uh, Kennedy again made a statement. He said that, I mean, as a faith preacher and as a healing, uh, should I say healing evangelist for lack of a better term, he says he's found out that the biggest hindrance that people have in the area of healing is actually not believing that God is willing to heal them. That that has been the biggest challenge in all of his years while he was on the earth. He said that was the biggest challenge is that people just don't believe for some reason that God was willing to heal them. People come up with things like, I think this happened to me for a reason. God is trying to teach me a lesson. Uh, I'm not worthy. You know, and all, and all kinds of funny things. Why would he want to teach you a lesson by doing that? And then you also, you know that God is trying, you know, it's hypocrisy. People say, God is trying to teach me a lesson, that's why I'm in this condition. Then why are you going to the hospital? You are trying to get away from God's lesson? Are you still there? 
hear this. Jesus is perfect theology. What do I mean? Watch everything he did. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he simply displayed to us what, God, what God's mind is about everything. John chapter 5, Jesus was speaking and he said, As I see my father do, I do. So basically, I'm showing you who the father is. I'm showing you what the father does. And yet if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Bible says that he healed all manner of sickness, all manner of disease. So there's nothing beyond him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When it came to, to, sick, I mean, to sin, he forgave the sin. When it came to be, having mercy, he had mercy. When the leper came and he said, if you are willing, he said, I am willing. And touched that leper and the man was immediately cleansed. He's demonstrating to us what God's mind is concerning all things. If you, can, if you can't see it in the life of Jesus, then know that it is not true. If you ever turned anybody away and say, you, no, you can't be healed. It's not God's will to heal you. Then you better know that God is turning some people away. Are you still there? I said, are you here? Okay. So we're speaking about shades of unbelief. Again, another shade of unbelief is not believing in how. God wants to do it. Not believing in how God wants to do it. That can be broken into two. One is not believing in who God wants to use or in who God is using. Very often there are people who face that. They, they have challenges with that. Even Jesus faced that. Matthew chapter 13, uh, John chapter 6. Uh, is it John 6? Matthew chapter 13 for sure. Um, is it Luke 6, John 6, Mark 6? Mark 6. You know, and... Um, there, Jesus was in his own hometown. Okay? Maybe we should open that one. I'd li- like you to see. I mean, Mark chapter 6. Mark the 6th chapter. So remember, we've been talking about shades of unbelief. Number one, not believe that, believing that God can. Number two, not believing that God will. Uh, number three, not believing in how. Or not believing how God wants to do it. And I said, firstly, you'll be talking about the fact that there are people who just have a problem with who God wants to use. Okay? Mark chapter 6, from verse 1. He said, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. You know, as I read that and I thought his own country, the first thing that comes to your mind is, wow, this is going to be powerful. Isn't it? Because he goes to his own country. Charity begins at home. So, things are happening, lives are changing, in fact, chapter 5, a demon-possessed man was healed. Uh, a girl was raised back to life. A woman was healed. And then he goes to his own country. He says, Babao. This is going to be the greatest chapter. Abi? And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him? But such mighty works are performed by his hands. Look at verse 3. He said, is this not the carpenter? So for some, you didn't know that Jesus was actually a carpenter. Okay, not just a carpenter's son. So he grew up as a carpenter's son. He learned the trade. He became a carpenter. Uh, So let all the carpenters say amen. 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 Yeah, that's uh, what? Dignity in labor. Yeah, and then now you know that Jesus was a professional colleague. Hallelujah. Uh, there was Luke the physician, but he was not a physician. Uh, he was a carpenter. Amen. So they looked at him and they said, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, though some people didn't know he had brothers, uh, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives. And in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there. Except that he laid his hands on a few sick folk. Sick people. And healed them. And he marveled. Because of their unbelief. You know, again as I read that. The Bible talks about Jesus marveling in a few places. In one place one man came to him. And he said, come to my house. You know, come and heal my servant. And he said, and Jesus said, I will come right away. And the man said, don't come. He said, what I actually... Is for you to speak a word. Okay? He said, if you speak a word, I know that my servant will be healed. And Jesus marveled at his faith. Uh, the same way he marvels at people's great faith, he marvels at some people's unbelief. Look at your neighbor. Say, are you making him marvel? 
Non, Sister Mavo. Okay. Are you making it marvel? But which way are you making it marvel? Is it marveling at your faith? Or is it marveling at your unbelief? What was the unbelief in this instance? Familiarity. Disdain. They thought, is this not the carpenter? We know all of them. We know their family. Where did he get this wisdom from? What is he talking about? Who is he? In fact, I was at his naming ceremony. Are you still there? That is another shade of unbelief that stops people from receiving. They think, who is that? Who is, who is holding the mic? Who is he? Who is he? They say, even this one who is going to preach to us. Anyway, let's hear what he has to say. Have you ever had people talk like that? I've been in places where I felt that there were people sitting down holding a, uh, whatever, what do you call it, assessment sheet. So when you stand there, they are marking it. Say, is this good English? Tick. It's not bad. He knows, knows Bible small. Tick. He can speak. Tick. Are, are you hear what I'm saying? So when they are done, they say, that was a nice message. Nice, nice. Nice. They, are just marking, they are just marking the assessment sheet. They are actually not receiving us from God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I mean, a friend of mine told of how he went to preach in a place some years ago. And he's very smallish. He's older than me, but he's, he's, he's smallish. Now he looks older. You know, he's still the same. Of course, he's still the same height and all that relative to me and all. But at that time, of course, without white hair or anything, he looked really small, you know. And then he arrived at this place, and the person who was introducing him, maybe just me for the first time, says, let's welcome this boy of God. <laughs> you know, so it's just a boy, you know, so it was a big deal. But I think he was there for a few days. So by the time he was doing two, three days, they ha, let's welcome the man of God. But guess what? She must have missed the miracles of the first day or two. If God can speak through a donkey, why not through anybody else? Uh, listen, the man riding the donkey that day was a prophet. Can I hear he's a prophet? Uh, but he couldn't hear God. Uh, are you still with me? The prophet was lost in his ways. The prophet was going where he was not meant to be going. And an angel appeared. And the prophet could still not see. It was the donkey that was seen. And the donkey refused to move beyond the angel because the angel had a sword to kill. So the donkey refused. The, the prophet slapped the donkey. Move, my friend. What do you think? I just bought you for nothing. Move! Then the donkey tried to move to this side, the angel moved to that side. The donkey tried the other side, the angel moved to that side. And then the donkey sat down and said, Ah, if this man wants to die, me, I don't want to die. The prophet still had no clue. Smack the donkey! And then the donkey said, Ah! Oh God, angel day for road. <laughs> and the man said, you, 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 you find me on the ground? You. And I thought, wow, how lost this prophet was. He was discussing with donkey. He didn't even realize there was a problem. The donkey was speaking. Even that didn't quickly call him back to his senses to realize that, hey, Oga, <laughs> you're in trouble. Donkey is talking. He was discussing with the donkey instead. And arguing with the donkey. How can he push me to the floor? Are you still there? But God had to speak through the donkey even when the prophet couldn't hear. So when you sit there, you are thinking, well, it's just an announcement they are making. Well, it's just prayer. Well, it's just praise and worship. Well, it's just, listen, God is moving. Are you still with me? Ah, who is this one? He got born again last year. Last year. I led him to Christ. And so what? I remember many years ago, I was in a fix. I mean, I was in a terrible fix. I was... In a terrible, terrible fix. In fact, as far as I can, can remember, it's probably the most challenging situation I've, I've seen. Personally. And I had no clue what to do. I mean, fear on one side, worry on the other. It was just terrible. And then I went to fellowship that day. I was the pastor. As I sat down, you know, and again, when we talk, and people are giving testimonies, which is something we take it for granted. You know, and this person was giving testimony. I don't even remember who it was anymore. Was giving a testimony and spoke about how God parted the Red Sea. Ah, honestly, I was by the Red Sea. You know, I was seeing the Red Sea in front of me and Pharaoh's army behind me. That was my situation, you know. And when this person was speaking about God parting the Red Sea and God would do impossible, the impossible God had done it for her and blah, blah, blah. And I said, God, we part the Red Sea. I said, Amen. I caught it. And I held on to that word. I called. 
<laughs> this is Red Sea. That was a Friday evening. God parted that Red Sea over the weekend. Are you hearing me? It didn't make a difference. Once anybody is speaking, listen, when the Bible was speaking in, in is it First Corinthians 1 or Second Corinthians 1 now? I don't quite remember. It was talking about who God uses. And he said, check amongst yourself, brethren, how not many wise, uh, not many noble, you know, not many of the expected are called. God doesn't use, he, he doesn't have to use the people you think he will use. That's what he's saying. He doesn't have to get across to you through the people you expect him to get across to. Oh, he has to be set man that must pray for me. Who said? Are you still there? Who said? He could be the person next to you. That's just going to pray with you and that miracle will come. But you have to believe. I've been to many instances where I knew that what was stopping that person from receiving whatever they needed to receive was that they just didn't believe in who God sent. They belittled who God sent. Are you there? I said, are you there? Lastly, is believing in the method that God will use. The method. Second Corinthians, I mean, Second Kings chapter 5. Naaman was a big man in Syria, but he was a leper. The Bible says he, was, he came, I mean, the, the house help that he had, you know, who was an Israelite, said to him one day, that, I mean, Knew that, of course, he was a leper. He was a big man. He was a general in the Syrian army. And the house girl said to his wife, Say, Madam, this sickness where they trouble my order can be cleansed to if he goes to Israel. Of course, that says a lot of things. It talks about how that environment was. It talks about how Oga and Madam were. Are you hearing me? Uh, because the house help, well, not really a house help, that's a nice way to put it. Because a house help is a job on a good day. Ordinarily, a house help is a job. But this girl was not a house help, really. She was a slave. A slave is a property which you buy like a chair, like table, like television. So this girl was a slave. But these people were nice enough to her one, for her to have compassion on that man. Two, for her to speak out and talk to her, madam. She had the confidence, the boldness to say, madam, there's a solution. She could be sitting there and saying, God, don't catch them. Now this leprosy go kill her. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And there are too many people also who sit in, on their high horses and they are dying, but the solution is right there. Somebody has the answer, but they will not tell you. Oh, you are too hard. Too difficult, too wicked, too bossy. Look at your neighbor. Say, I know he's not talking about you. So this girl said, Look, tell Oga to go to Israel. So Oga got up, went to their king. Their king said, No, I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. They wrote a letter to the king of Israel, thinking that's where the solution was. And then when he arrived, he presented the letter. The king of Israel said, Hey, this man is looking for trouble. Since when did I become a cleanser of leprosy? That is sending somebody to me to cleanse him of leprosy. What, is, what kind of request is that? If he's asking for gold, silver, we can give him what we have. And then the prophet heard and said, King, don't despair. Send him here. So when they sent him to the prophet's house, the prophet did not even come out. Number one problem with the method. The man didn't even come out. The general came. Chief of army staff. Chief of general staff. Arrived. And the prophet did not even come to receive him. Are you there? Do you know how, how many people get offended because they were not recognized in a meeting? You know, they, they come to a meeting, they were not recognized. They get offended, they go. I've seen meetings where, I mean, we, that I organized, and I've seen people who have demonstrated that again and again. Some, I mean, in fact, there was one that I, I, I can see right now. I think the second time, I was actually bent on making sure it was recognized. But we were not going to interrupt the procedure of things until a certain convenient time to recognize him. But before we could reach there, I had gone again. So I thought this was really his problem. I mean, if you don't recognize, he gets out. I was told of somebody who walked into church and they did not recognize him. Man of God, he didn't recognize him. So he went back out and came in again. 
Maybe they didn't see him the first time. Maybe it's too small. So he came back in again. Bam, bam, bam. Sat down. He didn't recognize him. So he got offended. Are you there? So now the chief of general staff comes to Elijah's house. Elijah didn't even come as. <laughs> Are you sure he's around? Oh, yeah. bring, bring, bring wine, bring wine. He just sent his servant. He said, go and wash in the river seven times. Deep in the river seven times. Go and tell him. So, I don't know. I've been, I've been upset, you know, when he going to somebody's house once and he just sent a message at the gate. So, yeah, just give it to me and go. Asha! Now, wow. You can even say good afternoon. You know, and so it's the same way. This man arrived, and then the servant came out and spoke to him. And the king said, Oga say welcome. He said, Make you go. <laughs> and go and dip in the river seven times. So the man turned around and said, Nonsense. Nonsense. He didn't even come out. Number two, dip in the river. The river in Syria is cleaner. He had a problem with the metal. Are you there? And then his servant said to him, oh God, think, think. Again, he tells me that that man is he's, he's fairly a good man, you know, because his servants could again tell him, oh God, look at it another way, sir. If this man had asked you to do something very difficult, you would have done it. You would do it gladly. All he's asking you is deep in the river seven times, you are complaining. What's the problem? You know, it's like sometimes you tell people all you need to do is believe God. Then they go, they get offended. Believe God every time. Believe God every time. Believe God. Believe, 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 believe God. If we are said to you, run from here to Lekki. If you can do it, the Lord will turn your life around. You see, many people in shorts <laughs> getting ready. Say they want to run to Lekki. The Lord will turn their life around. Are you still there? Second Corinthians chapter eleven and verse three. He said, "Beloved, I'm afraid. I'm concerned for you." Lest you be deceived by this, this by the simplicity that is in Christ. I'm concerned that you'll be deceived by the simplicity, just the same way the devil deceived him. He said, I'm concerned you'll be deceived by the simplicity that is in Christ. The fact that things look so simple, the fact that things are just they, they look quite ordinary. There's a good chance you might miss God because you are looking for something more spectacular. Are you there? Somebody said, may I be saved? Jesus said, what? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The man said, how? Will I get back in my mother's womb? If he said yes, the man will say, okay. So, which concussion will I drink? He's getting ready to get back in his mother's womb. You understand? But when they say, all you need to do is believe. Believe that he died for your sins. He rose for your justification. So, boy. Uh, this one, this one, no, no one. Are you still there? Yeah, I remember we were dedicating a child last year. And um, I was, I mean, I was talking about the couple. And I said, I mean, all there would be the years of believing God. And, and I said, I remember one day saying to them, and I said, you know what? I mean, I said to the lady, and I said, you know, every time I think about you, I'm not concerned. I'm not worried. I know it's well. I know it's well. You'll be okay. You know, and then one day I went to visit them. And apparently I didn't know, but the husband had been waiting that when I come, we will talk about it for a long time, maybe pray. So I came and then uh, shortly when I was going to go, uh, I mean, we touched on the topic and I said, no, don't worry, everything will be fine, blah, blah, blah. And I turned and I walked out. So I thought, ah, I've been thinking, <laughs> this is the opportunity. So I was speaking at the name and I said, you know, hey, I mean, I just didn't think that would be an issue. I think that things would be fine. You know, the guy said, yes. <laughs> and I said, look, sometimes when you say that, people wonder that you really know what you're talking about. You really know the gravity of my situation. And the guy said, yeah, honestly, I felt that way. <laughs> about the way you were talking and all of that. I said, but I mean, what else do you want us to do? All we need is to believe God. They came to Jesus one day, Mark chapter 5, and I closed, stand on your feet. They came to him one day, stand on your feet so I can close. But you can stay seated so we can continue. I have a lot more to say if you want me to continue. That's okay. Okay? But in Mark chapter 5, they came to him, and there was, uh, it was they to call him because of a girl that was sick. 
And as he was going, the woman with the issue of blood came and touched his garment, and that delayed them a little bit. And Jesus stood and, you know, dealt with that issue on the road. And just about when he finished, they sent messengers from the man's house, where he was going originally. And they said, trouble not the master anymore, but the child is dead. So, the delay, the child had died. And Jesus simply turned, looked at the man, and he said, fear not. Only believe. Fear not. Only believe. So there's nothing so big, nothing so difficult. They said, trouble him not anymore. The girl was sick before. That's why we're going to call him. But now that he has, he has died, don't trouble him anymore. The girl has died. Just look at the man. As if they didn't say anything serious. He said, fear not. Only believe. Let me look at your neighbor and say, fear not. Only believe. This morning we take the communion and we're trusting God that this is our best year yet, our year of undeniable proofs. You know what that means? It means that everything you see in the Bible is going to be yours for the possessor. Amen? Uh, it's not just theory that, oh, the Bible said this. No, you will have testimonies about all of those things that the Bible said in the name of Jesus. So, Father, we take this remembering of covenant with us. That covenant that is a better covenant because it's based on better promises. We receive all of those promises this morning. We receive our victory. We receive our salvation. We receive our healing. We receive our deliverance. We receive our protection. We receive guidance in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, because you put a head around us. You put a hedge around our household. You put a hedge around all that belongs to us. You bless the work of our hands. And our possessions will increase in this land. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. Hopefully, you have picked something practical to apply for Victorious Living. If you loved this, then please send a message to admin at totalword.org or 090-93-30-3227 to let us know how this has blessed you. Also, head on to www.totalword.org slash podcasts to listen to more. Stay blessed and refreshed till next time. God bless you.